Garden Basics with Farmer Fred is brought to you by Smart Pots, the original, lightweight, long-lasting fabric plant container. It's made in the USA. Visit smartpots.com slash Fred for more information and a special discount. That's smartpots.com slash Fred. Welcome to the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast. If you're just a beginning gardener or you want good gardening information, well, you've come to the right spot. You've heard about the benefits of adding compost to your garden soil, right? You may even have a backyard compost pile or a compost tumbler, maybe even a bin full of worms who are making compost out of your garden scraps. But what about the new indoor composting machines that are on the market? Today, America's favorite retired college horticulture professor, Debbie Flower, and myself answer one listener's question about these modern devices. Also, if you're growing garlic, you may want some more information on the best time to harvest the garlic. When will it be ready? We get the answer from master gardener and longtime garlic aficionado, Dan Vieira. We're podcasting from Barking Dog Studios here in the beautiful Abutilon jungle in suburban purgatory. It's the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast, brought to you today by SmartPots. And we'll do it all in under 30 minutes. Let's go. We like to answer your garden questions here on the Garden Basics podcast. A lot of ways to get in. There's speakpipe.com where you don't have to use a telephone. You just yell at your computer and I hear the question like magic. Speakpipe.com slash Garden Basics. Or you can call us at 916-292-8964 and leave a message. 916-292-8964. You can use that to text pictures over as well. You can leave a question at our website, gardenbasics.net, or the, the old Farmer Fred email, fred at farmerfred.com. A lot of ways to get your questions in here to the Garden Basics podcast. As always, Debbie Flower is here, our favorite retired college horticultural professor. Nay, America's favorite retired <laughs> college horticultural professor is here. I hope nobody gets mad at me for that. <laughs> <laughs> We've trademarked it. They okay. can't. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, well, here's a question that came in uh, via SpeakPipe from Joshua. Let's give it a listen. Hello, Farmer Fred and Debbie Flower. I'm very grateful for the podcast and all the knowledge and experiences you guys share. And especially when Debbie's there, the science behind gardening as well. And it is the science that I wanted to direct my question towards today. There are these instant compost makers that you can keep in your kitchen, that you put your kitchen scraps in, and it supposedly turns it into instant compost. One example of a brand name is a Lomi that I see marketed a lot. What is the science behind that? Is it really making compost? Is it something good for my garden? Or is it just dehydrating my kitchen waste and not something that's really worthwhile? Thanks for all you guys do. Great question. I have to confess, I didn't know there were countertop composters. So I learned a lot that was triggered by Josh's question. How much did you pay him to uh, <laughs> send in that question? Huh? <laughs> Nothing yet. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Th this was a new world to me, too. I mean, I've heard of keeping, you know, little garbage cans under your sink or whatever to put compost in to take out to the pile or to the worms and uh, things like that. And there's even here in Folsom, California, there is a law going into effect this summer where you have to further separate your kitchen waste mm -hmm. and add it to your green waste. Mm -hmm. 
And so, okay, that means you have to have another little container on the kitchen sink. To Which I do already. But yeah, we do yeah. too. Yeah. yeah. And it's not that hard, folks. Right. Well, the thing, the important part of that is keeping the container for the worms separate from that container that goes in the green waste because the green waste kitchen scraps can include oils and meats oh. that you don't want to give okay, to the worms. Okay, then they are doing a fermentation process. What I learned from the research I did about this is that there are basically three ways that compost is created by these countertop machines. And there are places that have ramped that up that have giant machines that handle lots more stuff, but that these kitchen ones do a similar process. The first one is, as Josh speculated, is that it just dries out what you put in it and grinds it up. And that's what you get is ground up, dried stuff. So it's using heat and blades. Heat and blades. Correct. The second one uses microorganism that typically it's a bacteria that needs a certain environment and the machine provides the environment. It, it might be a certain humidity, temperature, aeration, and it uh, those microbes work very well, very fast at the correct in, in the correct environment to produce this compost after 24 hours. The quality of the compost I could not find out from anything I researched. I would assume... It's fine that it would go in the garden and it would do positive things. The third is a fermentation process, and fermentation is typically done with a, f a fungus. And that one can take oils and meat products, and you can f ferment the food. And some of them fermentation processes take longer than these countertop uh, machines advertise, longer than 24 hours. So I don't know how much of how many of the countertop ones ferment the food. I think they're primarily the dry and grind kind and the bacterial ones. Well, in the case of the Lomi, it, it does have that uh, bacteria component to it as well. Correct. And that may even be an add-on subscription service to this. And one thing I learned reading about the Lomi and reading the reviews of it is read all the information before you order. Read it very carefully. Because there may be some surprises, like waiting several months before you get your machine. I assume this is a fairly new technology, fairly new product, at least here. Uh, some stuff I read indicated that they've been doing this in Japan for quite a while. But uh, we may be a new market and that uh, companies go through growing pains when they add a new market to their uh, for their product. So that may be part of the, the slowness of it. They are not cheap machines. No, they're hundreds hundreds. of yeah. dollars. Yeah. Uh, and they use electricity. And in some cases, yes, you do need to purchase your bacteria on a regular basis. Some of the machines say you don't if you just leave some of the already composted material in the machine and, and continue to add fresh, that then the bacteria continues to thrive. And that would be, if you go on vacation, it's all gonna die and then you would have to re-inoculate it. So it's, it's a could be a tricky thing to, to use. The other thing too with whatever machine you're thinking of getting is go online and do a search for reviews and read the reviews because some of these machines have some rather scathing reviews attached to them about interesting billing practices or the machines that fail mm. and just 
read it all. Do as much research as possible on the particular machine that you're looking for. You know, there's nothing wrong with uh, keeping a small garbage can under your sink. <laughs> right. And Permacomposting yeah. you can do indoors. Having I have a green cone composter outdoors. People, and that works very well, does not take meat products or grease or fats. And some people, there there are techniques for gardening where you actually do the composting right in place in the garden, in a hole in the middle of the garden. So there are other less expensive, mm -hmm. not as fast. And if you're just throwing the kitchen waste into the garden, maybe they attract vermin. Which uh, Talk about your green cone, because I saw that set up in your yard. Mm -hmm. And it, it's an interesting little structure. It does look like an upside down green ice cream cone. Mm -hmm. Yes, it does. And you're literally putting your kitchen scraps in that out in the yard. Right. And nobody can get to it. Correct. This is the, the third residence I've had a green cone composter and it's worked very well. And all of them know they're not paying me for this. Um, they only build them when they have enough in order. So you have to get online and order it. And it is called the green cone composter. It's tall enough, which it's about three feet tall. That a raccoon, which was my initial fear, cannot get into it. It has a lid with a, a hinge and a lock. I have to say I've broken every hinge and lock that has come on them. That's kind of the weak point of the, of the thing, but I just put a rock on top. And only because the lid blows away. Nothing has tried to get into it. I have lots of worms that come out of it. One thing people don't like about it is that you don't harvest from it. Everything just disappears. Because the worms come to it underground. You have you have buried a fairly large sort of laundry basket underground, and that's where your compost goes, and the worms come to it and drag the stuff away. Uh, I had my last one for 15 or more years, never emptied it till I went to move. That's when I found out that the, that the tea bag was made out of, was not biodegradable, at least not by the worms. So I had a lot of tea bag, empty tea bags in it. So it, it probably would pay you after the first month or two of filling this is to, to dig it up and see what's still there. Yeah, it would be very easy. You don't really have to dig it up. You just take the top off and there is your laundry basket full of stuff and you could see what's in there, whether your tea bags are biodegradable or not. I should say that whether your tea bags would be broken down by the things that are in the soil in a reasonable amount of time. Biodegradable can have a very long definition. <laughs> yeah. I would wonder if you have to move it around your yard. I never did. You could. You're creating a very microbe-rich area right there. Yeah. And how far do the worms travel normally? Good question. Yeah. I can't answer that. I yeah. don't know either. But you you certainly wouldn't want a backyard full of green cones, but <laughs> that would be a, yeah. new landscaping. Well, yeah, fad. yeah. There, there you go. You maybe you could you know play croquet against it or something. <laughs> yes, construct a little miniature golf course with it. Uh, yeah, I mean there are many ways to make compost. I mean I would think that if you say, well, I live in an apartment, it's the only way I can make compost. What are you going to do with the compost? Yeah, good question. Uh, for your house plants. You better Possibly. have a lot of house plants, or you not eat a lot of vegetables. One yeah. or the other. Yeah, yeah, and and Fritos are not biodegradable, <laughs> as far as I know. I have to say that I, the yard I had this in for fifteen or more years backed up to a green belt that had coyotes and foxes and raccoons, and people said mountain lions, and nobody came into my green cone. What about ants? I've never had an ant problem with it either. Huh. Okay. Well, it's a pretty amazing thing. 
Well, we didn't sell any kitchen composters here, but there'll be a run on green cones. <laughs> tell them Debbie sent you. Yeah, see if that helps us out. I doubt it. But you never know. Yeah, I'll, I'll stick with my worm bin and just mulching away. Right. I am hopeful that this countertop composting system maybe will meld with the worms and composting and you'll get, I don't know, that it'll get better and that more people will be able to afford it and more people will be able to compost in their own kitchen. I guess you could feed fine compost to worms in a worm bin, couldn't you? You could certainly put the dehydrated and ground stuff in there. Yeah. I would think so. I was going to say they're very adaptable, but I honestly don't know that. They're, their populations ebb and flow depending mm. on conditions, temperature conditions, food conditions, moisture conditions. So their population is adaptable, but I don't know if the individual worms can handle many different environments. We delved into the weeds in uh, the Beyond Basics, Garden Basics newsletter that came out on Friday, May the 6th. We were talking in depth about compost tea, but there was a lot of good knowledge there just about compost and the pros and cons of creating your compost, not the least of which is the water you use. In this case, we're talking about compost tea, but in any situation that involves compost, if any of these kitchen machines involve adding water to it, if you use municipal water, you better know what's in it because if there's chlorine or chloramine in it, that could have an adverse effect on bacterial production. Yes, definitely. So they sound like they're potentially persnickety machines. Yeah, hard to say. Good luck to all of us. We don't know. But thanks for the question, Josh. It was uh, interesting to, to look into this. Yes, you're dragging us into the 21st century, Josh. <laughs> thanks so much for that. Debbie Flower, thanks for your help on uh, this. Always a pleasure. Right. You're welcome. I'm pretty picky about who I allow to advertise on this podcast. My criteria, though, is pretty simple. It has to be a product I like, a product I use, and a product I would buy again. And you know who checks all those boxes? It's Smart Pots. Smart Pots is the oldest and still the best of all the fabric plant containers that you might find. Smart Pots are sold around the world and they're proudly made 100% right here in the USA. Smart Pots come in a wide array of sizes and colors and can be reused year after year. Some models even have handles and that makes them a lot easier to move around the yard. Because the fabric breathes, Smart Pots are better suited than plastic pots, especially for hot climates. That breathable fabric has other benefits too. Water drainage issues? Not with Smart Pots. Roots that go round and round choking the root ball like they do in plastic pots? Doesn't happen with Smart Pots. These benefits will help you get a bigger, better plant than what you've gotten in the past with the same size plastic or other hard container. Smart Pots are available at independent garden centers as well as select Ace and True Value hardware stores nationwide. To find a store near you or to buy online, visit smartpots.com slash Fred. And don't forget that slash Fred part. On that page are details about how for a limited time you can get 10% off your Smart Pot order by using the coupon code FRED. F-R-E-D. Use it at checkout from the Smart Pot store. Visit smartpots.com slash Fred for more information about the complete line of SmartPots lightweight, colorful, award-winning fabric containers. And don't forget that special Farmer Fred 10% discount, SmartPots, the original award-winning fabric planter. Go to smartpots.com slash Fred. 
We've got a quick tip for you. We're here at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center. It's a project of the Master Gardeners of Sacramento County. We're talking with Master Gardener Dan Vieira. Dan loves garlic. He grows many, many varieties of garlic, but there's a lot of questions, Dan, about when and how to harvest garlic. So when garlic harvest season arrives, you really got to start taking notice, what, like a month before you think you're going to harvest? Yeah, I uh, just plant hardnecks now, and they'll produce a scape which is the flowering part of the garlic, which gives you some indication that they're getting close for to harvest. Once you see that little uh, curly cue come out of the garlic, you want to cut it off because uh, you want energy to go down into your garlic head rather than setting a flower. Whack that off. You can cook it. A lot of people stir fry it. Uh, it's good. Tastes like kind of garlicky. <laughs> I've used it before in salads and and stir fries. And then uh, uh, you want to watch the leaves on your garlic. They start turning yellow in in little layers at the bottom. Usually after about two or three yellow leaf start turning yellow about halfway up. I'll uh, get a, a digging fork or a trowel and carefully lift one up just to look at it and see if the cloves are formed and are defined. If they aren't, I'll carefully put it back in the ground because I don't want to waste that head and uh, wait uh, a little longer. And then you also, once you get the the leaves start turning yellow at the bottom, all about halfway up, you also want to shut your water off about, I usually do about 10 days before harvest. You can do two weeks. Uh, You don't want your head rotting in the soil there. So turn your water off, check it again, and once it's ready to go, you can lift uh, gently with a trowel or a digging fork. Just be careful you don't puncture the head because it won't store. You can uh, harvest your garlic. Do not pull it up by hand unless you have really light soil, but I wouldn't recommend pulling it up at all. I would gently lift it up and get it out of there. You're going to have to cure it, which basically means tying some uh, garlic heads together with with, uh, the leaves and then hanging it somewhere where it gets pretty good circulation. I usually hang mine under a citrus tree, just hang it on a branch and maybe eight or 10 garlic clo- or heads together and uh, let that cure for maybe two weeks. That hardens it, gets it ready to store. And then when it's all ready, uh, you can cut the, the stalk off and then clean it up a little. I usually put mine in a, a basket Uh, You know, like one of those old Easter baskets or something like that. And then I'll tuck it under a kitchen cabinet in a dark, cool place. And I still am using garlic from last year. So it's the hardnecks that I grow store a long time. And softnecks store even longer, according to some people. But um, I found they both store pretty well if you keep them in the right place. For those who don't know, define the differences between a hardneck and a softneck. Well, a hardneck has a, a, a hard stalk that comes out. It usually has fewer cloves sometimes, uh, and it'll produce scapes, which softnecks don't. You can either plant your garlic in the fall or the spring. I, I always plant mine in the fall. With the softneck, then, what you'd be watching for is the leaf-turning color. And, and there's right. always been debate among garlic heads about how many leaves need to turn brown before you start the harvesting process. You know, Some say three, say some four, but basically uh, keep an eye on the leaves. Yeah, that's the key is, is the, the brown, when they start turning brown, uh, the leaves yellowish brown. And then also lifting one up, one or two, and checking them. 
then uh, it works. That works great. You don't really disturb the garlic head if you if you do it gently and put it back gently. For those who have never grown garlic before, you said that when when you dig it up, you're looking for a well-defined head. And I guess that's when the cloves are starting to bulge and there's like definite borders to them. Because before that, it would be almost like a smooth white uh, orb. Right. You want to see the definition in the cloves uh, when you lift it up. You want it to look like what you buy in the supermarket, basically, that kind of definition on the clove. As you can tell, we're at an open garden day here at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center where the big event is the first Saturday in August at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center. It's harvest day. This is a beautiful facility. Anything you might grow in your backyard garden, you could probably find growing here, and you get a lot of good advice from the master gardeners. Harvest day brings out all the garden experts, too, to help answer your questions. It's really a great event. First Saturday in August at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center in Fair Oaks Park. We'll have a link to harvest day uh, in the show notes today. Dan Vieira, uh, thanks for helping us harvest garlic. My pleasure. We've talked on the Garden Basics podcast and in the Farmer Fred Rant blog page in the past about the heart-healthy benefits of growing garden crops high in soluble fiber. Crops like blueberries, beans, artichokes, apricots, peas, and a lot more. In Friday's Beyond the Basics newsletter, we veer onto a scenic bypass regarding this. How a healthier diet, including growing and eating many of these homegrown crops, along with regular exercise and a positive outlook, has actually kept me alive and well since my quadruple coronary artery heart bypass surgery, as well as the diagnosis of full-blown diabetes 10 years ago. The surgery was a success back then, but I knew there had to be changes in my life to keep the heart healthy and to control the diabetes. Well, mission accomplished, and in that first year of recovery, it went so well that by the end of 2012, I was off all prescription drugs for cholesterol control and diabetes, with the doctor's blessings, of course. How did I do it? Well, it's in the newsletter that goes beyond the basics, the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred Beyond the Basics newsletter, out Friday, May 27th. Find it via the link in today's show notes, or visit our new website, gardenbasics.net. There, you can find a link to the newsletter in one of the tabs at the top of the page. Also, you can listen to any of our previous editions of the podcast, as well as read an enhanced transcript of the podcast episode that you're now listening to. It's at GardenBasics.net, where you can also link to the Garden Basics newsletter, Beyond the Basics. And it's free. Look for the newsletter on Friday, May 27th. Take a deeper dive into gardening with the Beyond the Basics newsletter, Find it at GardenBasics.net or at GardenBasics.substack.com. And thanks for listening, and thanks for reading. Garden Basics with Farmer Fred comes out every Tuesday and Friday, and it's brought to you by Smart Pots and Dave Wilson Nursery. Garden Basics, it's available wherever podcasts are handed out. For more information about the podcast, visit our website, GardenBasics.net. And that's where you can find out about the free Garden Basics newsletter, Beyond the Basics. And thank you so much for listening.